Hey, well, welcome. I spoke with Jeff yesterday. He sends his greetings. He's enjoying his grandkids and probably building memories and stories because he always talks about his grandkids somewhere in a sermon and always good stories. So I said, hey, you're on a working trip as well as seeing family. Hey, it's been a crazy year with uh, COVID-19 and with uh, other things going on in just political season uh, we've gone through. My goodness, aren't you glad? It's, I think it's over. Maybe not. I, I don't know. It's crazy things going on. I've never seen so much uh, disharmony and uh, just not getting along, uh, racial injustice, uh, crazy things that we're dealing with. Uh, it, it seems if you're one party, you hate the other party. And, and I don't know if you're happy or sad. Uh, who is one or who maybe not one? I don't know. It's just a, a super crazy time. I, I, I have grieved over just the disharmony that I've seen in our country. And to think of just racial injustice, my goodness. I grew up and remember uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And, and speaking and so forth and, and laws being passed. And uh, I wonder, have we, have we progressed at all? Have we gotten any better in this? Uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home, and uh, my parents divorced when I was 14, but before that time, I, I can remember dinner time sitting around the table, uh, myself and my three sisters and my mom and dad, and my dad was just, was not a believer, we were not Christians, and uh, he was kind of like the god of the house, and he was the king of the castle type of thing, and uh, our fear was that he would get angry at something, be mad at the way my mom made the food or something like that, and would yell. He was uh, physically abusive as well as verbally abusive. And so dinner times for me were a tense time. They were not fun. And uh, a couple years ago, I, I, at the university, we, we all kind of went through a thing on what are your strengths, and uh, out of 33 strengths, what are your top five and all that. I, f I found my number one strength was harmony. And I look back and I think, was it because there was so much disharmony in my home that I want harmony th to be there? And then I, I think that's why, as I looked over this past year, I've been so frustrated because, you know, I thought we were the United States, United States of America. And, and yet I see so much division on those sort of things. And, and I wonder how God feels about that. I mean, uh, we, we song about a, a God who is one God, but who chooses to exist in three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, they're one. They, they, they don't do their own thing. They work as a team all the way through. When Jesus was here, he would say, these are not my works. These are the works of the Father. Uh, these are not my words. These are the words of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then in John 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit, the comforter coming, and he says, he's not going to do his own thing. He's going he's to remind you of the words that I have given you, which are the words of the Father. We have this triune God that is there, but they, they, they work as one all the time. And, and the fascinating thing is we are created in God's image. We are created in God's image, so, so we are to be one. In the garden before there was sin, there was that harmony and unity. Uh, 
you know, Adam was one with himself. He was comfortable. We're told that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And I think that was more than just not wearing clothes. I think it was the fact that they could be open and talk and not be ashamed of their thoughts or their feelings or, or their actions. They were comfortable. They were, they were one with God, one with one another, one with themselves. They were one with, with nature even. Uh, I don't think there were, you know, they were killing anything. I guess there were vegetarians at that point, not experiencing death. But when, when they were tempted to become like God and not be satisfied who we were, disharmony entered in. And all of a sudden, they become aware of their nakedness and they clothe themselves. They hide from God. Uh, they, they blame one another. Adam says to God, this, this woman that you gave me, blaming God and blaming the woman, caused me to eat of this fruit. And, and they're eventually put out of the garden because there is this, this harmony. And only in Christ are we made one again. I, I, I read some places in Scripture, and it seems to be that yeah, unity and harmony are high priority to God. If you read the Psalms and you get to about Psalm 120, you'll, you'll notice that a lot of them have a subtitle, Song, Psalms of Ascent. And they would sing these psalms or these songs as they were traveling up to Jerusalem. And as a, you know, maybe for the Passover and something, they're kind of on a pilgrimage at that point. And in one of the Psalms, it's probably one of the shortest ones, only three verses, Psalm 133, it talks about God's feeling when it comes to unity and harmony. And he says this, David is writing it, and he says, look, or the, the word is really behold, look, behold, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then he gives examples, and he, he creates this image. He says, it's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Aaron was the first high priest. Aaron was Moses' brother. And so there's this image of the, of the first high priest and oil anointing, blessing, abundance, flowing down on him, not just off his beard, but dripping on his garments. It wasn't a little drop of oil. It was an abundance. Because God is saying when there's unity and harmony, that's what it looks like. There's this refreshment and excitement that comes out, running down on Aaron's beard, running down on the collar of his robe. And then he gives another image. He says, it's like the dew of Hermon. Hermon is the, the highest mountain peak uh, east of the Mediterranean, north of, of Jerusalem, snow-capped mountains. And, and the image there is, okay, that's where it's, even in this arid land, there's always going to be moisture. In a dry, arid land, you like moisture. And it says, like the dew of Hermon, we're falling on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the highest peak in Jerusalem. It represents God's mountain. And again, it's a sign of blessing. And then he says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God is pleased. God wants to bless when he sees unity and harmony. There's a fascinating little story in uh, Genesis chapter 11. The, the people want to build a tower. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to make a tower that reaches the heavens. And on, on this, God looks down from heaven and he says this in the, the very couple verses of Genesis 11. God says this. He says, if as one people, 
they have begun to do this. Speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. God says that nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. If as one people speaking the same language, they have, they have begun to do this, then, then nothing that they do will be impossible for them. That's a, a pretty strong statement. That if you have a common purpose, if we're unified, and you're all on the same page, you're all speaking the same language, God says there's nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, they left out one big factor. They left out God. They didn't ask him how he felt about it. So God went down and confused their language. So they no longer had that common talk. They were no longer on the same page. But what I found interesting about that is that God is saying, you have a common purpose, you're unified, you have a common language. Nothing that you plan to do will be impossible for you. And I think that's part of the blessing that God is saying when we can all on the same page, when we can all be in agreement, when we can all work together, when we could be truly the United States and not broken up into different parties where we're fighting and, and whatever the other party wants, we're against it. It's a sad time when we see that. You know, I almost wonder, is there, there another civil war coming or, or something like that, that there's so much hatred uh, against these things? Uh, is it all these protests that we've seen because of racial injustice, again, is there going to be another civil war? What's going on in our country? We, we need to be unified. We need to work because I thought we were one nation under God. I know we've drifted away from that, but that's what our forefathers saw. That sort of harmony and unity. And God says that when he sees that, as we read in Psalm 33, therefore God bestows his blessing even life forevermore. God wants us to come to that unity and harmony. It's fascinating to me as well that when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, on the night that he was eventually going to go out in the garden and pray, and he was going to be arrested, and then he was going to be tried, and then he was going to be uh, you know, crucified and, and whipped and everything else that was going to happen to him. He has a prayer in the upper room in John 17. The whole chapter, John 17, is a prayer in the upper room. And we sometimes neglect to see that. We, we talk about the Lord's prayer. We talk about the prayer that he had in the garden. Father, pass this cup from me. But this whole chapter of John is a prayer that disciples heard. And he basically says to the Father, look, I've completed the work if you've given me to do. I've made you known. He prays for his disciples and what they're about to go through. But if, if you, you kind of scroll down in that passage and, and you come to the 20th verse, he prays for us. Look what it says. My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. If we're Christ followers today, we have come to believe through the message of the gospel writers and through the scriptures. And what's he pray? Look at verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then he says this in verse 22. I, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that the world may be so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This is 
the night again that he's going to go through this horrible trial and persecution and eventually crucifixion. And yet he's praying for us here that we would be unified. That's how much oneness and unity and harmony is on the heart of God. It's not a side thing. He's not saying, hey, it'd be nice if you guys could kind of work together. That would be cool. No, this is why Jesus came. This is why we were created in the first place. This is what God is all about. This is what he models in the Trinity, a perfect team working together. That unity and that's there. This is like, like number one, what we need to be working for. He wants that in our marriages. He wants that in our relationships with our families. He wants that in, in the places that we work. He wants that in our communities, in our neighborhoods. He wants that sort of unity. That's the heartbeat, the core of what God is all about. And that's what he wants for us, the church, to be unified. In fact, it, Paul writes about this in the, in the letter to the Corinthians. In, in chapter one, we hear him say that he's heard about the fact that the church is divided into these different little groups. Some are of Paul, some are of Apollos, some are of Cephas or Peter. Some even think they're really spiritual. They're saying they're of Christ. Well, they wouldn't be divided in a little group. If they were really a Christ, they would just be one. And so in the third chapter, he brings that up. And he says, you know, I, I, can't, I can't treat you as, as mature believers because you're acting worldly. You're acting like the world. Why? Because there's divisions among you. Some are of Paul, some are of Apollos, some are of Cephas, and some are of Christ. It, you're, you're divided. I, I have to feed milk to you because you're baby believers. If you were growing, you would see that you, you need to be one and you need to work together. And then he gives some illustrations. He says, don't you realize that you are God's field and one person plants on it, Another one waters the plant, one harvests it. That's what the different groups are for. But you're one field, you're God's field. Don't you realize that you're one building with one foundation, which is God? One person builds on that foundation, another does some more work on that foundation, but you're God's. God is behind all that you do. And God is the one who makes you one. So don't be divided up in these little groups. I wonder sometimes if, if we've done that with denominations. You know, I'm Baptist, and I'm Presbyterian, and I'm Methodist, and I'm Episcopalian, and I'm Pentecostal. And, and we fight again with, uh, with one another, and we don't look for what we have in common, like God, right? God at the source. Okay, there's a little crazy things, you know, do you baptize children when they're infants? Do you wait till they're mature? Do you wash people's feet? Do you speak in tongues? But is God the center? Is God the center, the core of who we are? That's what Paul wants to, to tell the Corinthians. And then in the, the 16th and the 17th verse, he tells God's feeling about this disunity. Look what he says. He says, don't you know that you yourselves, you plural, not individual. He talks about the individual body being the temple of the Holy Spirit in chapter 6. But he says, you plural are God's temple. And, and God's spirit dwells in you. That's what makes you different. He's writing to Corinth, a city that had probably 28 different temples and beliefs to different gods and idols and so forth. But he says, you're different. Why? Because you're God's temple. 
And you're different because God's spirit lives in you. He doesn't live in these other temples. He lives in you. You're the Christian church. You're the body of believers that seek Jesus as your Lord. One Savior, one God, right? You're different. And he says, don't you realize that? He dwells in your midst. And then he says this in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Whoa. That's pretty harsh. The word destroy means to annihilate. If anyone will destroy that that, that temple, God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. We, the body of believers. Now, I, I believe that only not only applies to a church, I think it applies to us in our marriages, us in our families, that we are work to work to be unified and to be one. Harmony. Harmony is at the core of what God wants, that we can work together, all right? Even though we might have different feelings about we love different football teams. I think Jeff was happy yesterday because Georgia beat South Carolina. Yeah, some of you Gators are happy because, you know, you won yesterday, beat Kentucky, right? But we're more than that. That's just football, all right? We're more than that. We are Christ followers, and God is at our center. Yeah, he allows us to have different teams and, and choices along that, that way. You know, some people like steak, and some people like turkey, and some people like ham. But we're still God's people, and we have something in common. Can, can we find out? what we have in common and focus on that. Can we reach across the color barrier and find out that we're still people created in the image of God, even though we're different colors and different nationalities and different ethnic groups and so forth? We're still people. We still like to sit down and eat a meal, right? Can we do that together? Can we reach across those barriers and find out what we have in common and focus on that? As, as a Christian, you know, I, different hobbies that I've had and so forth, and one has always been surfing, not the internet waves. And, and you know, one thing fascinating about that is, you, you know, you see, particularly at my age, you see somebody older and you have an instant connection, you know? You're not 13, you're not 16, you're like 70-something, right? You have a connection there. Surfing. But it opens up doors to find out who people are. Now, I, I remember meeting one guy that, you know, was in my neighborhood when we had a place over in Melbourne Beach. And, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, he's a banker and, and so forth. What do you do? I teach at a Christian university. And, and you get to open up doors because of the thing of surfing. Same thing with motorcycles. Same thing with old cars. All right? You, get, you find something Whatever it is, maybe it's skating, maybe whatever it is, but you can, you can open up avenues to just kind of talk to people and find out what you have in common that can lead into other discussions so that we can work in harmony, right? And we don't, we don't allow ourselves to do that anymore. A couple months ago, I, I, I posted just a question I had about all that was going on, some of the things I'm talking to you about. And man, I got some... I got some People on Facebook that just kind of rode me up and down. And you can't, you can't believe these different things. You can't say that, Hackett. Wow. I thought we were allowed to have an opinion anymore. Yeah, but your, your opinion is not mine, so it's wrong. Whoa. Where are we going? 
I teach at a university where we, we emphasize critical thinking. That doesn't mean to criticize. That means to critique ideas and see the strengths and the weaknesses. And, and, and particularly when you're, you're somewhere between, let's say, the ages of 17 and 23, it, people are making life choices and, and de deciding whether the faith of their par parents or the values of the parents are their own. And, and, and you want them to think a little bit and look at different opinions and ideas and, and see, you know, you got to make some choices on your own. So evaluate, critique these ideas. It's okay to listen to people and to talk to people that have different idea, ideas and, and find out what makes them tick and find out maybe some of the things that are different from yours might be not so bad after all. It's just different, right? Those that you're either married, particularly to somebody from the opposite sex, which I always say is a pretty good choice, all right? But you find you, you, my wife and I, we, we look at things differently. But we're still married. We don't agree. We don't always like the same foods, but we still live together and we're one. And, and that's what God planned in the beginning. It says that a man should, should leave his family and, and be joined to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. Now, I pretty much like that idea because God's given us a way to become one flesh. All right, hold on to yourself. It's called sexual intercourse. It's a way that we demonstrate that we're one, that we're joined in this marriage. You know, we think of that as just fun or, or for procreation or something like that. But God designed this. It's okay to talk about sexual intercourse in church? I think so. God made it. And he gave it for a reason. Because he wanted a husband and wife when they engage in that particular practice that they're reminded of the fact that God has made them one, even though one is male and one is female, and they think and they process information differently. But in marriage, they're united. And that's why he wants sexual intercourse to be saved from marriage, because it's in that where he sees that couple become wife, and as far as he's concerned, it's a lifetime contract and commitment and a covenant, because he is so into unity He's given us that act in marriage to represent that, to celebrate that. Maybe it's a, along the line of a sacrament like communion or baptism. All right, just a thought. Think about that, right? Again, God designed it, so argue with him, but I find it pretty good, all right? Just a thought, but I better move on, all right? Little tender ears are out here, so okay. I came across something, uh, I've been reading a book, or just finished up reading it a couple weeks ago, called Searching for Sunday. It's about, the author uh, has actually passed away a couple years ago. She got some disease, left a husband and a couple small kids and so forth. But she, she talks about her spiritual pilgrimage, growing up in a Christian home and, uh, you, you know, doing all the things, going to, you know, ice skating and youth group and, you know, vacation Bible school and all those things and, and church camp and all that, really gung-ho memorizing scripture and so forth. It, it was like, you know, I'm one of the youth leaders and all that kind of stuff. But after she got married and going to the church, she, she came disgruntled with churches you know, it, it, she said, it seems like if I go to church, I have to be Republican. You, you can't vote Democrat. And, and if you go to church, you have to believe this way and believe that way. And she said, I'm not sure Jesus talked about things like that. And so she 
her and her husband started to look for other churches and, and try to find, is there a church out there that kind of fits us because we're searching and we're kind of uh, disgruntled with what we've seen in our own home church. Some of the people in her own home church thought she had lost the faith. I, I just think it's okay at times to doubt and to walk through those processes. But she, she tells a story when she met a, a bishop at a uh, Episcopal church the Reverend Wright Michael Carey. Let me read it to you, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina. All right? Tells the story of a young woman who became an Episcopalian in the 1940s. Think about the 1940s in North Carolina. What was their feelings on racism? All right? One Sunday, she invited the man she had been dating to join her at the morning services. Both of them were African-American. And they attended that day. The church was all white and right in the heart of segregated America. The young man waited in the pews while the congregation went forward to receive communion. I don't know if you've ever had communion in Episcopalian church, at least before COVID and so forth. There was one cup that is passed and everybody drinks out of that one cup or that one chalice. And so this, this girlfriend went forward and uh, she was black and uh, she noticed the, the boyfriend sitting back in the pew noticed that everyone in the congregation was drinking from the same chalice. And he had never seen black and white people drink from the same water fountain in North Carolina, much less the same cup. His eyes stayed on his girlfriend as after receiving the bread from the priest, she waited for the cup. And finally, the priest lowered it to her lips and said, as he had to all the others, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserved the body and soul unto everlasting life. The man decided that any church where black and white drank from the same cup had discovered something powerful, something he wanted to be a part of. And the couple was Bishop Curry, the one who's telling the story. It was his parents. And communion, Curry says, is a sacrament of unity of unity, that we are one with God. What did Jesus say? Take this bread, which is my body, which is given for you. Take this cup, which is my blood, which is being poured out for you, and become one. Paul writes on this as well in the letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 11, if you want to read it sometimes, he's very upset with the church because it's communion. And some are spreading out a meal and others are coming and poor and don't have any food to share. And he said, because there's no unity as they take up community, he says, some of you are sick and some of you are dying because God's angry with you because you're not coming to that sacrament, to that time as one. But it's representative at times of the whole church when it's divided up into different groups. It's a sacrament of unity. Sexual intercourse is a sacrament of unity between a husband and wife in marriage. Not to be taken outside of marriage, but to be saved from marriage because it's sacred. That's why God is not for extramarital or premarital sex because he created for a couple who were making a covenant and commitment to one another because he wanted to emphasize how important harmony and unity is to him. If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, 
And then let's add God in that mix. Then nothing that we plan to do will be impossible for us. When God looks down and sees us working for harmony in this country, in our marriages, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, there his blessing lies forevermore because that's what God is all about. Father, make them one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, let them be one in us also. Then the world will believe. Then the world will know that I came from you because he came to bring unity, oneness, the harmony that was intended in the garden and was broken by our sin. He came to bring it back and we can work towards this. And it's our duty and our responsibility as Christ followers to work for that harmony. So what can we do? Sit down with people that are different from you at times. Find out their story. Find out what you might have in common. You know, Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I like that part, as far as it depends on you, because the other person might not want that unity. But have I done my part? I love one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. God's children are peacemakers. They work towards harmony. So spend time with others, your family, but people outside of that. People of different nationalities, people of different colors. And look to see what you have in common with one another. Commit yourself. You know, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, he washed Peter's feet, who we knew he was going to deny him, and yet he washed his feet. And I picture him walking across the room to Judas, who that night was going to betray him. But he walked across the room to his Judas and washed his feet, because that's who Jesus is. That's who our God is. Who is the enemy that you need to walk across the street to and wash their feet? because that's what we are all about as Christ fathers. Father, help us to become one. It's not enough to, to stand here and, and talk about this today. What's really important is going out and living it. And my goodness, our world needs it. Our country needs it. I've never seen in all my years a country so divided as we are. And Lord, we as Christ followers have the responsibility to work towards that unity, to pray about it, and to act upon it. So help us in that, Lord. Let us not be idle in this, because this seems to be your primary passion, that we would be one with you and one with one another. You've created all people in your image. All of them have value and worth that is worth loving. You've commanded us to love not only our, our, our neighbor, but our enemy. It's a command. It's a commitment on our part. Why? Because the enemy's even created in your image. And we are to pray for them. And I know from personal experience, when I pray for my enemies, they, they stop being enemies. And I see them in a different light because of you. And you've commanded me to do that, and it works. So Father, help us as the people of God to live it out and to work towards that harmony. Father, as well, I just pray because we're in this crazy COVID time. I pray that a vaccine, a cure would come quickly so we can get back to some sort of normalcy and uh, unity 
and hugging and shaking hands and, and doing things like that. Lord, so we pray for that. And we pray for our country, that it would be united. Help us as we go into a new time, maybe a new president, I don't know. But we pray that we would work and become a United States again and help us in that. So, Lord, we're thankful. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, cause his face to shine upon you. Lord, lift up his countenance unto you and give you peace and harmony. In Jesus' name, you're excused. Have a great day. Have a great week. All right.